You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. All right, on the podcast with me today, I have a special guest, uh, Brian Dabrowski, and he is located in Wisconsin, has been hunting a long time. You know, he reminds me of kind of one of those guys who just kind of flies under the radar, but really takes a lot of joy and pride in what he does, is able to hunt a lot of different terrains and find success. Uh, I had the fortune of meeting up with him uh, a couple of years ago for the first time. We just bumped into one another, basically, when we were both hunting public land, and, uh, you know, struck up a conversation later and have kept in touch and so i wanted to have him on the podcast because i feel like he's a wealth of knowledge just you know had experience in a lot of different scenarios and i feel like he's a guy that i can certainly learn from so uh brian thanks for for jumping on if there's anything else you want to tell the listeners about here's your chance um just maybe my uh background i guess to get a way i look at things and uh maybe just a background on me and where i live and all that you know because regionally, I believe everyone looks at things differently. Um, from central Wisconsin, um, been mid 40s right now, so getting up there in age. But I've always hunted public land. I've never hunted with anybody else per se, except in my younger career when I would, you know, hunt with family. And so I've a lot of self self taught and a lot of stuff. A lot of mistakes have been made and a lot of lessons learned, but we're getting through it. Yeah, absolutely. And do you hunt both the, I guess, firearms, muzzleloaders, you know, bow season? Do you specialize more in bow hunting? What's kind of your preference there? I prefer bow hunting um, above all else. I, I gun hunt, of course. I just purchased a muzzleloader this year for a specific reason. There's a deer I'm going after, and I believe that he's there early season and late season where I'm going. And so I purchased a muzzle loader just for him. So we'll see if see if that pans out. But I prefer bull hunting. Um, gun hunting on public land around here is pretty crazy. So it's a matter of just 
uh, finding an area where other people aren't going or working off their pressure, but definitely bull hunting. Gotcha. Yeah, I can attest to that. And do you have any specific, you know, you mentioned, obviously we're in the upper Midwest here. Both of us are. Do you have a specific habitat type that's kind of your favorite or do you enjoy just, you know, trying your, your skill set and learning a whole bunch of different types of pieces? I prefer hunting marshes primarily. Um, I've been doing that for quite some time now as far as um, I, I, I enjoy scouting in general. Um, I love scouting more than probably I do the hunt itself. Um, every day I'm going to a new piece probably and checking it out one way or another. I do prefer marshes above all else. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience with hill country. Uh, the stuff in North Dakota I hunt, it can, you know, out there I've learned how to do that area. Um, big woods, Schwamig and Nicolay, been up in that area. So I've been a lot, you know, farmland, central Wisconsin farmland, a lot of different areas. So. Gotcha. And do you feel like one of the things that draws you to marshes is, I, I feel like when I hunt them, you can find the bedding is more predictable in certain occasions. The bedding can be more, I guess, maybe predictable, but also the food adjacent to the bedding is a little bit more isolated in certain scenarios. And especially outside of the rut, I feel like that makes it easier to put the puzzle pieces together. Do you find the same thing? The marshes I hunt, um, I'm working off of uh, private. So there's a lot of, most of the private land that surrounds these marshes, most of the people don't have the bedding cover on their property. They are geared up towards the food plot aspect of everything. And the deer themselves are back in the marshes bedding. And I like to work on getting in between the known bedding areas of a specific buck and the food plot, you know, work my way in that way. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Do you find when you're, when you're after, like, let's say you find a specific buck in one of those areas, do you find that he's bouncing around quite a bit between different beds in a, a larger bedding area? Yes. Yep. Uh, the deer I took this year in uh, Wisconsin, I have him on trail camera about three quarters of a mile away in that same marsh. And he popped up on a, you know, a sec, another bedding area where I was on a different buck. He popped up in there. Um, it seems like in those bigger areas, there's pockets of deer rather than, you know, farmland are kind of all over the place. But uh, the, the marshes and the big woods, I feel there's more pockets of deer. And uh, I try to target those and locate where they are. How big would you say a typical pocket might be? We're talking like... 200 yards square are we talking like an acre um no when i see pockets of deer i'm probably 30 40 acres okay and in that, in that area you're going to have a, a doe group um you know you're going to have different you know just pockets because there's a lot of dead space i've always thought if if you were good at musky fishing you would be good at uh bull hunting these big marshes because you're eliminating the dead water so to speak mm-hmm got to you got to cover a lot of ground um just you know pushing the bush you know so to speak and then just seeing where they are seeing where they live and historically they'll be in those same areas unless uh you know logging operations or something like that will bump them out okay so in an area that's that large 
I mean, a lot of the, the media that we consume over the last, I don't know, several years related to Martians especially, you know, makes it seem like we can go in, pinpoint the exact spot, the 30 yards away, pick the tree, which I could say has definitely worked for me in certain scenarios. It hasn't worked for me on like a giant, but yep. I guess I mean, how, how does that play into your into your overall scouting picture? This, uh, so the stuff I hunt, there's not, I, I think if you get into the bigger cattail marshes um, with limited wood, you know, tree lines, woods poking in there stuff, I think it'd be a little easier to do that. Um, stuff around here I've noticed is it's, it's just chaos. There's all sorts of different pockets of cover. Um, you got tag alders, you have uh, cattails, you have, you know, hardwoods, it's just all these little pockets and it's, it's kind of chaotic. Lots, you really have to, lots and lots of edge, lots and lots of cover, lots and lots of places they could potentially bed. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's unlimited. So it, you, you know, but the deer still relate to pockets within that. And I've noticed, um, like this year, I, there was an area, a few hundred acres I was hunting, uh, out of this big marsh and I was coming in on all different sides of that property or, you know, all that piece. I knew, I knew the buck I wanted was inside that area. And so I kind of was playing a little game with them and I would hunt the backside of it. I'd hunt. 75% of that area I was hunting except one portion, which I snuck in there when the wind was right, and I got pretty close to them, and I was able to get them that way. Um, but I was just playing, I was kind of playing little games with them where I, I'd come in on different sides, different trails, because he could leave any which way he wanted, depending on, you know, what oak tree he wanted to go to or what food source. And uh, what was neat about that was, he wasn't going towards the uh, egg fields on the perimeter of the marshes. I noticed he was going deeper into the marsh, hmm. as with the doors, which, you know, you would, you know, you had lush green stuff on the private and, you know, corn and everything, but these deer were actually going into the marsh further. So I thought that was, that was really interesting to see. Yeah, so I guess we're... What was the draw, do you think, that they were going into the marsh further? There were little, there were pockets of oaks dropping, um, but I don't think that was the case. Just a lot of good browse all over. They were, you know, it's like they have a routine where they, they'll just filter off into a certain direction and, you know, make their loop back into their bedding in the morning. But they're, you know, just browsing as they're going. There's no, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's not a lot. Of, it, was, it was kind of weird, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. And I think it, I mean, I, sometimes I see stuff like that where I, where I'll hunt in bigger areas where it's like, I know deer will show up at a certain time frame in a certain spot and I'll try and find them early season in the, the spots that make sense. And I'll, you know, glass fields that are, you know, two miles away and, and check the white Oak flats and, and that sort of thing. But, see it man a lot of times they like to feed on browse even in the early season and especially if there's young growth clear-cut grasses forbs i mean the woods is just full of food that time of year and it's like man occasionally i'll get a picture of a nice buck in the early season but it might be like one picture every three weeks and it's like okay well is, yeah. is he just randomly coming through here or am i just like right on the edge of his range like he's he's living out here but he's just moving through and just like 
one random day, like he just happens to walk by that camera, you know? Yeah. I, I think with cameras, they, they don't lie to you, but they don't tell you the whole picture. Yeah. I had a couple, even in my yard, I had a couple small bucks and I threw a couple cameras out just to get a, see if I could get a picture of those bucks and I couldn't get a picture on them. So, I mean, you know, they, they can skirt, you know, they, they don't lie to you, but they don't tell you the whole picture. Um, nothing beats boots on the ground in season scouting, looking for that, you know, fresh hot sign and, uh, just setting up based on that. Cause those, they, those deer move around based on, um, you know, you got hunter pressure, but of, of course during October, everything's changing. You got leaves falling, different food sources dropping. So you're always on the lookout for them, you know, in those, those type of scenarios. So if you're in one of those areas looking for a specific deer, what piece of information specifically for that deer are you looking for when you're out doing boots on the ground? If I, if I have a good idea on what kind of sign he's leaving as far as uh, uh, early season, I like to target scrapes around uh, the known bedding areas. Um, but that's not going to tell you the specific deer. Um, you're going to have to rubs a lot of times. Uh, every deer is unique where it'll, you know, just like every person is unique, they're going to do a certain thing, rub a certain tree possibly, certain height. Um, and I like to try to find, a, you know, that kind of sign that I think he's leaving, that specific deer's leaving. Um, there's one deer I'm after that he's not rubbing on big trees, he's rubbing on clusters of brush, and that kind of threw me where you're looking for this big buck sign, in this area, but it's just not, you know, all you're seeing is these tag all there's just trash. Hmm. And, you know, that's, that's just what he's doing in that area. Yeah. That's you interesting. Know, he's not rubbing these, he's not rubbing these trees, you know, thigh high up to your chest or any of that. He's just, he's attacking these tag alders. And that's, that's the sign I'm seeing from him. So. Huh. Yeah. I have noticed this, this year, um, when I've scouted the same place that, I killed my buck last year. Last year, there was a lot of tall rubs. It makes sense yeah. that deer had tall tines. And I assumed that, like, maybe that deer was leaving at least some of those rubs. This year, I haven't found that many rubs. Like, a few. But nothing like yep. there was last year. And so, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, it, it probably almost confirms that he maybe was the deer who was leaving a lot of those taller rubs. And maybe some of the other bucks that are out there now, maybe their calling card's a little bit different. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, because it... They'll rub a specific, you know, a lot of a lot of these, I've noticed they'll, they'll rub a specific tree, a specific height, um, so you can kind of follow that, you know, that rub line or that pattern around the woods, and you know, with with some certainty, you know, you know, it's that same deer. Yeah. If you don't have one. I've I've heard of guys using you know specific tracks too sometimes. Where yeah. if there's an identifiable feature in a specific track, then you might be able yep. to use that. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, that's yeah. I haven't been able to come across that too often, and you know, there's there's not a lot of good tracks, you know, getting that out there. You know. Just, yeah, especially as dry as it always gets up by us, and like you know, that October time frame, it seems like it never rains that much, and it's hard to find fresh tracks a lot of times, unless you're like down correct. by a marsh or you swamp, you get that muck, and and even the muck doesn't leave great track impressions. You almost have to be in a scrape sometime with some recent rain. And some of the dirt 
Uh, you know, like you, you go to North Dakota, um, that ground holds a track for a long time and it can be deceiving. You know, the, the content of the soil, you know, just holds that track a lot better than it does around here. Mm-hmm. The sandy. So, yeah. Yeah, it can be deceiving. Yep. So back to that deer you killed in Wisconsin, then you, you mentioned something else was that, you know, you kind of, you kind of boxed them into a certain area and then went in for the kill once you had that final last wind. So it sounds like you had found like some sort of identifiable sign to figure he's in that pocket. And were you in, was that your intentional plan the whole time to try and just like leave one little sanctuary area of that cover alone and just try and push him into it? Or are you hoping that, yes. like, before that point in time, you would, like, still get a crack at him? I was hoping before I'd get a crack at him if he was leaving a different, one of the different directions. But my um, end goal was if I wasn't getting on him on these other trails coming out of there, I was going to leave this one side um, alone until I had the right wind. And if, especially when it was mid-October, it was October 15th, and it just had started getting cold. Uh, it was kind of a warm fall this this fall, but it it just started getting cold that that day or that weekend. And I moved in. I had the right wind. I moved in on them. And uh, yeah, I, I it worked out the way it was supposed to. A lot of times it doesn't, but yeah, <laughs> you know that that one actually was, you know, I was kind of playing a little game with you know that area, I should say. Cause I knew there was a couple good bucks in there. So. Yeah. And when you say a good wind, was it like a safe wind for you to access and get in there, hunt it? Or was it like one of those almost wrong winds? It, no, it was a, that brings up a good, it was a safe wind to get in there and access it. Um, but I noticed on these marsh hunts that, so you're, you notice it like you're in the parking lot and it's pretty windy and all, and it's like, Oh, it's a nice, nice wind, nice cover wind. But then you get in that tall grass and you're walking out there and this is dead. And you're sweating and it's hot and it's like where'd the wind go so when you get it was a safe wind to get in there i'm up in my stand and right at the end of uh you probably know i've seen this in videos too you know watching other people's videos and stuff but you see right at that last light when that sun's setting that marsh grass will hold the heat a little bit more than the woods that you're in and it'll start drawing all of a sudden you'll feel that wind shift on the back of your neck you know, for maybe a minute or two. Yep. And that's usually right when that buck's getting out of his bed and coming, moving at 60 yards, 80 yards, you know, to his little staging area before he starts. So it's, I haven't, so I, I, I like Scentlock products. I've been using those um, for that reason, just in case it gives me a advantage in that minute or two situation. Yep. Because um, when that happened this year, there was a doe and a fawn come through just before that buck. And that wind was doing that where the sun was just starting to go down. And uh, this, uh, and the wind had shifted. And I could feel it at my back. And those does were right in that line of scent. And they, I could tell they were getting agitated because, you know, I'm not, you know, as good as, you know, some of those guys with scent lock loading. But, um it was just enough where they moved on yep. and that buck showed up right when the wind kind of switched around Yep. back, you know, back all the Northwest when everything kind of cooled down. So, um, I think I was watching, uh, I think the guy from seek one, 
he was in North Dakota this year. He had that great big buck, you know, he was. Yeah, Lee um, Ellis. Yeah, and I think that happened to him where that a buck on that area and that wind shifted right towards that end. And it, you know, it sucked it right into that deer where he was standing. Um, yeah, it was kind of, you know, it was just a little more of a grassy area that was holding heat just a little bit longer. So, yeah. Just those little, de- you know, little details, I guess, like that. Yeah, I've been trying as much as possible to try and, you know, if I get a travel corridor, and, and the place I've been trying to hunt is, it's a little bit different. But I'll, I'll get in areas like last week where I was set up as close to water as I could, knowing yeah. that perhaps that water would hold the heat a little bit longer. And you get this little, there's like a 20-yard wide travel corridor where a lot of the scrape line was. And yep. then past that, it was all heavy brush, heavy cover, dense. And so that'd be like the doe bedding cover and those bucks would run the downwind side of that cover. So I'd have a, I'd have a wind coming, blowing through that heavy cover and out over the water. And then when it would die, the thermals would still pull toward that water. So as long as I was next to the edge of the water, I had, I think between, between Friday and Saturday, I think I had 10 different bucks walk by within 10 yards and none of them, none of them smelled me. The biggest the biggest uh, concern was access because I couldn't come in through the water. Um, and I, they bet I had to walk right through that corridor for like a quarter mile. Yeah. And I, I was kind of, you know, interested to hear that you have been using um, the scent lock stuff. I, I've been experimenting with it from an yeah. access perspective, especially because like I can hunt just like that, that scenario. I can hunt with the wind in my favor. Um, but on the access, I'm touching vegetation and brush like it's thick there's no way around it i'm leaving boot scent and so it's like if there was any sort of advantage there and none of those 10 11 whatever deer i had that walked either direction either coming the same way that i came in like walking right down my access trail or going the opposite direction none of them reacted at least what they showed maybe they could smell me and just didn't care like that could be but i didn't see a negative reaction so i thought that was that was a uh, very interesting to see. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that too, where if I'll get a negative reaction, if I, if I'm walking in the water and I'm, I take all my stuff off to get out of that water or something like that. And I had a deer come by that exact spot, you know, of course he smelled my ground scent, but, um, for the most part, I'm wearing my, uh, just, you know, my lacrosse 18 inch, you know, green boots, set lock clothing and stuff. And, I don't have a lot of negative reaction, you know, mm-hmm. from ground scent. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, it doesn't mean that a deer might not come by later on the night or smell it. But right. I, from the deer I've seen walk right across those trails, I haven't seen them have a negative reaction. So. Yeah. So, it sounds like in that that instance of your Wisconsin hunt this year, I mean, basically everything worked out. Did you access through the timber to get to that spot, or? Well, did, did you, like, was he bedding in the, the marsh and working his way up to timber? Like, I guess lay out the specifics of that spot a little bit more detail. So there's a, he was, he's in these, there's not much timber out. I mean, there's there's pockets of timber, but it's not like, you know, there's slivers here and there of little oaks and there's tag, you know, tag alders and marsh grass and, uh, and there's pockets of cattails and it's, it's, it's just a mix match, this whole area of that. And I accessed it. 
I had a water source I accessed it with, and I walked right down that water source um, all the way until a point where I was on the, you know, almost to the boundary of the property, and then I cut straight in behind the, uh, uh, the bedding area where I thought they were leaving, um, you know, the direction they were leaving, uh, you know, and heading out for the night, going back deeper into the marsh, which, yeah, that's still, you know, but I, I had a good wind going in there, that northwest wind, and I had a good wind and then was able to get around the back side. And so, but yeah, I accessed using the water, you know, just water getting all the way back there pretty much, except for the last quarter mile. Yeah. So that was just through marsh grass and some trees, but it's just a menagerie of, you know, it's, it's not one really set habitat type there, which makes it really hard to find deer, you know, to yeah. hunt a specific area just very very diverse lots of edge lots of lots of yeah. mixture lots of food lots of cover yep very Sweet. very similar to what i'm what i'm trying to deal with right now it's uh you can't call your shots as easy but like you said the in-season scouting plays a huge role yes yeah and that's i'd get on a trail or something leading from a different direction i'd walk that trail until i seen the sign out on i would you know i'd pull stuff on that i think i sat out there about probably 18 different times this year and uh, finally, at the at the end one, you know, I was able to get them. But just but that's the first time I went on on that spot there. So. Yeah. So you so you feel like even if you're even if you're doing like basically everything you can to try and be as discreet on your access and as you know, you know some semblance of a, a scent control regimen, you still feel like whatever you're doing is is having an impact on that location. That overall your pre your presence is somehow being felt, and that's influencing how those deer are going to react yeah you bet yeah um i i, I could have walked right by a deer and i wouldn't even know it out there um you run into these situations where you're you go you walk and then all of a sudden you stop and a, a deer's 10 feet away gets all the grass and runs you know they've learned to just put their heads down and not move at all when you walk by them in some of these areas so you you know a person could be walking right by these deer and you wouldn't even know it you probably ran into that, you know, gone hunting or something where people are yep. doing deer drives and all of a sudden deer gets up, you just walk by and takes off out the backside of the drive or something like that. Um, they're just, I've watched that before, even young bucks will just put their heads right down to the ground, their nose to the ground, and they just, you know, on their bellies and they will not move until you, you know, until they get nervous, you sit there and kind of watch and then they get nervous. But, if they can hear where you are in relation to where they are, if they can hear you moving, they won't move. But if you stop, they'll get nervous and yeah. possibly run. Yeah. Well, I've noticed the same thing in, in two different instances. One, I was summer scouting, had my camera with me. I was recording yeah. stuff, and I was on the edge of a clear cut, and I stopped to record a video clip, and I was talking into the camera for like two minutes. Yep. I stopped the recording, take one step, a deer bust out 10 yards away. They're sitting right inside the brush on that, that clear cut the whole time. And then I'll, I'll notice too that like, you know, very similar to how when you, you see deer crossing the road at night and they'll just look in the headlights. Well, if I'm coming back from a long access, I'll see these deer out in some of these areas and I'll see their eyes in my headlamp, but they, they don't bolt. Like no. they just, they just watch. Sometimes yeah. I'll, you know, I'll flash the high beams a little bit just to see if, you know, is that a doe or is that a buck out there? But, um, you know, I just keep walking. Like you said, if you stop, then they usually turn and run. 
But if you just keep on walking, like you can turn and look at them and, and they'll just keep looking and maybe they'll walk around a little bit. I mean, they'll be sometimes 15 yards off the trail and they'll just stand there and watch you. You've, you've probably walked out at night or in the morning and you see lights in your, you know, in your uh, headlamp or something and you have a deer 20 feet to your right and you just walk right by him and he's yep. not even moving. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of neat. Yeah. So, so let's break down a, another hunt that you were successful on. This one was earlier in the yeah. year. Um, it, giant, um, by the way. And this was an interesting hunt for me to observe somebody do because it was, uh, I guess we'll call it a, a betting area hunt. And, you know, you can correct me on any of these things if I'm wrong, but like closer oh. to a betting area, um, you know, scrape activity, which, you know, in some circles, people know like that's a thing in early season, acorns, but also a morning hunt. So like a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily all piece together on an early season hunt to be able to find success. So if you wouldn't mind, let's uh, dive into a little more detail on, on that early season hunt. Yeah. So I early season, I love mornings. Uh, I love the fact that people sleep in and I don't have a lot of competition in the mornings. I, you know, um, I just, I love morning hunts in the early season. I believe you can, but you have to, you have to pick spots that, not every spot's going to be a good spot for the morning. You have to pick spots where they're far enough from the food source to allow deer to get back to them, you know, during daylight hours, you know, that first half hour, 45 minutes or whatever. But, so that's, that's, that's a tricky part is finding spots that they're working their way back in. And in uh, North Dakota, I, I, the deer travel quite a bit out there from, you know, you'll be driving in the middle of nowhere and there's deer, you know, in your headlamps, you know, on the nearest woodlots a couple miles away. So they, they travel a long way. And even through the, the big timber where I was hunting, um, I had historically, I, I didn't do any pre-scouting on this spot. I don't, I don't go out there before the season. I don't scout before the season. Um, I don't hang cameras. I don't do any of that stuff. I base where I'm going to be hunting off prior years knowledge. Um, historically where I've seen deer and these, you know, doe groups and bedding and, um, cause I, I usually go out there and I'll have a predefined area or a predefined one or two spots. I'm going to go out there, let's say that Friday opener. I have two or three spots in my head that I'm going to go check out and I'm going to hunt one of those spots at night based off the crop rotation in the nearby fields. Um, but so that didn't pan off. And that Saturday, I went the first the first morning. I went in on a known bedding area that I've hunted. Uh, it's a primary scrape area. There's there's always activity there, and the deer are bedding just on the inside of this. It's a grassy field area, and there's oaks dropping, so that played a role in the why I picked that spot. The oaks were dumping this year, um, but it's it's big timber area. And it allowed the deer to get back into that area right at daylight, you know, where they're going to come back there, feed for a little bit, and then bed probably within 80 yards of where I'm sitting. And I got out there um, knowing that there's a lot of fresh scrapes out there. Every every, every opener, there's fresh scrapes in that spot. But um, I got out there, it was about 4.30 in the morning, and I walked into that spot. I'm about 60 yards from my tree stand. And I smelt that buck. Um, 
I don't know if you ever, you know, you, you get a whiff of it. You can, you can get a whiff of that buck, you know. And I didn't know it at the time, but five yards past, you know, right where I smelt that, when I was walking out after I shot him, uh, there was a fresh scrape right there that morning. But so he was, it's kind of neat, you know, you walk in there, you smell him, you set up, and uh, it just worked out good. I had a northwest wind that day, and the wind went, so I had the cover to my back. The opening was out, you know, I am, you know, just past me where the wind was blowing into. And again, Scentlock, I believe, played a, a role on that hunt. It could have went either way. Um, as that wind's coming over me, it's, you know, it's doing the cascading effect in that opening yep. where the oaks are dropping. And I had four does to my right uh, that were feeding. And they were coming, you know, I'm facing the tree in my saddle. And I had four does to my right. I had my bow to the right of the tree. And they were working their way past me, and that wind's kind of rolling. And they got agitated, but they didn't they didn't bolt or anything. They're about 30 yards, you know, downwind to me. And they got agitated, and they started moving back to my right. And right when they were getting out of my peripheral, I heard, heard this, I heard, uh, uh, branches being raked and as that buck was making a fresh scrape i i could see the tree to my left and it was about 40 yards away at the time i could see his tines i could see the tree moving so now i'm you know waiting on these deer to go to my peripheral so i can move my bow over to the left hand side of the tree and that buck he's about 37 yards 40 yards out and he's going out to that opening too and he gets out there he gets a little agitated too, but he didn't bolt, you know? So I, I, I want to think that, you know, the scent lock at least helped. I don't think it could hurt, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe he got a little, you know, I'm sure he got a little puff in my wind, you know, as it was rolling there. Um, but what was nice is he actually came back towards the woodlot. He came, he offered me about a 25 yard quartering two shot. And, and uh, I remember looking at his rack and I'm, you know, I'm, I think he's, you know, he'll be in the 160s. And I just remember him like that. You know, you're up in a stand and you, you don't always get the height of the rack. You know, I'm like, that looks pretty tall. Oh, it's pretty wide. You know, and I'm like, it's a really nice buck, you know. And I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm like, why am I shooting? But um, but I was able to get a shot off. And um, I went with, uh, this year, I, I've never been a, like an archery shop type of guy. Yep. I've never, you know, I usually, I go into an archery shop and I, you know, it's for one purpose, you know, I need a new string and I'm, I'm out of there. You know, I'm not, I'm not a guy that shoots or nothing like, you know, except in my backyard. Um, but I, you know, I, I went with the whole uh, heavy arrow bill from uh, the ranch ferry there and did a lot of research on that this spring and, uh, you know, gave me the confidence in my arrow setup this year. You know, last year, I don't think I would have took that shot. But, um, but yeah, no, it worked out, though. I mean, that buck was coming right back into that bedding area, and he was probably getting ready to roost up, you know, within 60, 70 yards of where I was. So, yeah. And that's, it, it's based off of historic observations and knowledge of that area that that buck was in there. So when, when you so, – because I, I think, you know, for the, for the listeners, you know, maybe you get the picture that there's just like this isolated pockets of like oaks in these, in this grass, but there, there's a lot of acorns. Like, like you mentioned this year, there's, there's acorns all over the place. 
Um, oh, yeah. Woods are littered. Like you can't take a step without yep. stepping an acorn. And, and so I guess what else contextually lets you know that this is a bedding area? I hunted it, um, past hunting. Um, I've hunted it, uh, in the past and how I, I guess how I scout out there is I'm not afraid if, if I'm not going to hunt an area, I'm not afraid to just blow it out. I'm just going to walk through the bedding or walk through what I think is bedding. And I'm going to blow the deer out and I'm going to see what's in there. And even if I don't hunt it that year, I'm going to probably hunt it next year. Cause I'm, I don't go out there during the off season doing any scouting. Mm-hmm. So all day long, I'll, I'm walking through areas. I'm just constantly pushing that ground. And if, if I'm bumping deer, I, I really don't care. You know, I know a lot of, I notice a lot of guys are, just they're really scared to bump deer in certain areas, you know, and stuff like that. But if I, I don't have a problem doing that if I'm, you know, I don't even plan on hunting that spot. And that's how I kind of found this. Uh, it was just one of those times I just, in years past, I just walked through it, kind of blew everything out. And, uh, you know, you're just seeing where the movement is. Yeah. Did instead it... of sitting back and watching, I'm just, I'm just pushing the bush and, yeah. you know, did this place back up to anything or is it just like kind of, I guess, like if you looked at a map, does it, does it make sense or is it just like, man, I'm lucky I, you know, stumbled up on this place. Cause, uh, you know, I wouldn't have been able to figure it out just by e-scouting type of thing. No, it's a, it's actually, it's a little, uh, it's a little cove almost. And there's mature oaks right there. Okay. And it, it borders this big grassy field. And the backside of the cove is all woods, and it's and it's not as many oaks. It's mainly um, popple, you know, popple and all that stuff, and uh, thicker cover. But these are, it's like a cove of mature oaks, and it's just it's been a primary scrape area. Um, I, it's been a historic, you know, historically there's been doe groups that have used it, and there's always, I didn't have any history with that buck. Cause I don't, I don't know what's really, you know, from year to year, I don't know what's out there, you know? Um, but I've seen some just, just huge, huge body deer out there mm-hmm. and, um, in that same spot, you know, in that same, you know, within half yep. a mile of that. And there's, it's a big area. It's, there's big timber out there, which you wouldn't think in North Dakota. And I don't think a lot of guys like going into that stuff, you know, I, I, Especially that time of year, it's it's inti- very intimidating. Yes, correct. It's 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 big timber. It's thick. It's nasty. And a lot of the guys go out west and they're, you know, you're doing your spot and stock or you're doing your, uh, you know, glassing, looking where they're coming out in a soybean field and hunting that way. Which you know that's that's a good, that works too. Um, my my go to has always been finding these spots that, you know, I gotta actually put boots on the ground and see what's inside there. I, you know, I'm not going to get the intel from the road. I'm not going to get the intel from, you know, I don't have time to put cameras out. I'm just, I'm going to walk through it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. See what's in there. Uh, that's, that's super cool. I, I like the, I use cameras a fair amount, but mm-hmm. a lot of times out of state, I won't use cameras because just like you said, like the logistics, it's, it's tough. you know, Correct. either you end up in a weird position where it's like, Oh, I got a, you know, go out and still get these cameras, but I'd like to go home right now. 
Um, yep. or maybe I just, oh, I'll just have to pick them up next year. Um, <laughs> and so it, it makes it fun from the aspect that you're hunting for the unknown in a certain sense. Like you don't know if, if the buck that walks in is going to be, you know, a four corn, you don't know if he's going to be a giant. Like it's, it's just, there's that level of anticipation there. Yeah. And I've, I've kind of fallen in love with that. I, I've, I really love North Dakota for their hunt down. I live, I live in central, we got a lot of prairie chicken land over here and it kind of reminds me of that. So it kind of, kind of draws me to that type of land, you know, topography. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's, I like hunting out there. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's just, uh, holds a place in my heart, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, oh, go ahead. No, go finish your train of thought. Yeah. <laughs> No, I've had I've had really good success out there, like opening week out opening weekend. Um, I've tagged out opening nights. I've uh, you know opening weekend. I've I've done pretty good out there, just going out there and uh, based off a of historic, you know what I've what I've seen in the past. Because there isn't a ton of pressure in those you know in the big woods out there, and uh, it seems like the deer tend to relate to the same areas every year. Yep. You know, there's, there's not a lot of change out there, so it's there's a lot of spots that you know I still want to go hunt this year, but I can't, you know, so I got to save those for next year. And so. Yeah, unless you just take a take a walk, hiking trip out there, bust some deer up. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I that's I you know I I love that almost more than hunting and just kind of looking for that uh, little gold nugget out in the woods. Yeah, just walking all the elk trails or just pushing all the thick butt, you know, the brush and just seeing what you're jumping, you know, that's, that's your best intel. And most of the time those deer are going to, you know, they're not going to go very far out there. You know, there's not a lot of pressure like there is around here and uh, you can get away with a lot more. But yeah. They're going to be in the same general area and you can, you know, you see a nice one, you can probably hunt her down. So. Yeah. Do you ever go out there any other time of the year? Typically other than just like early? Um, yeah, I've been out there. There's been a couple times I haven't filled up on that first week trip, so I've been out there late season. Um, and I've been out there during the rut. Um, I took a deer off, and I based those hunts off of uh, you know just you know past sightings too. But yeah, I've been out there late season, and it's that can be a little tricky out there. Like you found out. I was watching your videos, you know, and there's not a lot of cover and they can hear you for a long way. And yeah, so I, I, I was watching that video and I was kind of chuckling, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's quiet. It's quiet. It's very quiet. Like, <laughs> I can, I can hear. Like I can, again, you know, up there or something, you know, it's quiet. Yeah. Yeah. I could hear. I remember on one of those days I got set up and I mean, just the whole setup process, like zipping the bibs on my boots, like just like chalkboard nails on a chalkboard. Cause it's like, man, this, like these deer can hear me zipping my bit bibs tight from, you know, a quarter mile away, I bet. Yep. And, uh, get set up and you just sit in there. It's quiet. There's no distant hum of highways. There's, there's no, you know, birds chirping. There's, and then I remember right at last light, I heard a stick snap back in the bedding and it's like, yep. you know, several hundred yards away. Cause I was close. I could get, and it's like, man, like that's it. <laughs> You you cannot have any of your clothes make any noise. Um, you know, I've, I've been I've been going with the Cabela's Ultimate, 
uh, outfit. You know, it's it's good bang for your buck. It's actually a nice nice outfit. And uh, you, you know, I always take it in the store, rub it back and forth in your hands, you know, and just to see if it makes noise. I mean, that's that's a big thing, especially when you're doing those late season hunts and it's hard to get on the deer, you know, and especially if you're shifting in your tree stand or something like that and you're rubs up against the tree bark and makes that little, I mean, that's, that's your hunt done. Yep. Yeah. So, even, even my boots is wearing, um, you know, rubber, rubber pack boots and yep. they got a little bit of water on them from snow that had, you know, melted off my hand and touched the boot. Those boots rubbed together and it just, it just echoes. <laughs> And that that little thing there, that, that that can be the difference, you know, of your your whole hunt. You know, like that's the if that deer's coming into you or something, it just makes a little noise, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a way. It's I mean, two different, totally different worlds between opener and closing out there. Yeah, I much prefer the opener. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You haven't you haven't been out. Uh, the mosquitoes haven't been bad out there. Nope. In the past few years. Um, there was one year I remember I was on all fours out in the field and you know, when the mosquitoes get on you, you start to, sw- you know, you sweat more, you know, cause it's, they swore, they were swarming me on this field and I was actually inhaling them <laughs> and it was so bad. It was, yeah, it's, it's one of the worst experiences I ever had. So when I lost my hat, I ran off that field and, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it, it's, it, they've had a lot of dry seasons out there, which is nice for the mosquitoes. Um, but yeah, I've, I've never, you know, never seen them that bad out there before. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> or anywhere. That's yeah. Uh, so, but there's been, yeah, it, I, I enjoy hunting out there though. It's, it's, it's nice. I, you can get out there and usually within a week I can get on a few nice bucks out there, which is really refreshing, you know, compared to, you know, a lot of times you're grinding it out in your home state or something that's pressured and. You know, you might get one or two opportunities a year at a decent buck to shoot. Yeah. So, would you almost recommend, you know, for for a guy like me who, who maybe wants to do a, like that style? Yep. Maybe you, you take a a year and you just bite the bullet and say, I don't care if I'm going to shoot a deer this year. I'm just going to learn as much as I can. And you just you spend time and you you cover a lot of ground that week and you just find where you see deer and where you kick deer up and where you saw big big deer and you just take notes of everything and then you make the next year okay now we're gonna act yeah yeah i, I i'd recommend that um i kind of treat it like so you watch you watch bass tournaments and they're always calling fish out of their you know they're always keeping the big fish yep. letting the small one out of their live well and i kind of treat that when i'm scouting um i'll go out there with intent of finding a spot and I'll keep scouting and scouting and scouting and scouting and calling those spots until I find the best spot I feel like, you know, that puts the percentage in my favor that I could take out on something out there. Um, Cause yeah, it's, but that, I, I recommend that. Um, Cause I feel like a lot of times what I, what I do in the past in those type of scenarios is, you know, sometimes I end up just setting up on like the first sign that looks yep. good. And then maybe you get a good opportunity. Maybe you don't, um, you know, that the hunt we did that first year where Shane and I both tagged out, that was kind of one of those situations. We just found hot signs set up and worked out. Um, but then there's other scenarios where you do that and you just end up not learning a whole bunch. Cause it was like, what you're wondering what, what was around the next bend. And, 
And uh, yeah. when I guess the flip side of that is I feel like sometimes if I, if I do too much scouting, I almost feel like, and I'm trying to get over this, but I always have that sense that I just, you know, I'm, I ruined the first spot by like busting through it. And, you know, I, I hear people talking about like, you know, you scout everything and then you pick the best thing and go back. Well, by that time, maybe it's the next day and that buck's gotten through and, you know, smelled your ground scent. It's yeah. a tough, it's a tough nut to crack. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, was, that, that first year, I think you were out there, um, unbeknownst to you, uh, you did a deer drive for me that day, which I appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was just getting into your videos and, uh, I was actually watching that video when I was out there and I recognized the road you were coming up and I go, I know where he's at. <laughs> and then I'm watching it and I'm like, son of a gun, that's my truck. <laughs> I see my truck in the video. <laughs> and then, and then you were talking about, you tried going, you know, you tried busting through that brush and I tried that once before and I started laughing cause I know how bad that was. <laughs> and, Cause you're in there and you're like, my God, this is horrible. And I just started, I was laughing, you know, at the hotel room. But that night I had, I passed up, I had two nice bucks come by, one at a nice 10, just down the ridge. And they were moving early. And I'm like, why are these deer moving so early? And then I had a really nice eight. I took video. I should have got that. I should have just, it was like eight, eight, nine yards. And I just let it pass. Um, but then it made all, all the sense in the world after I seen the video. Cause where you were moving in on that property, those deer are bedded down on the back side of that thick stuff overlooking that ravine. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Got, so you got the northwest wind. You got that wind coming off, you know, coming off that thick stuff, and they're looking down over the ravine, you know, where the coyotes and everything are, and um, they're just kind of bedded on those ledges and stuff. But, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was – and then where you got – where you ended up uh, shooting your buck, I recognized those trees – you know, just from the video, you know, I kind of knew, you know, the exact spot you were hunting, you know, and that was 20 miles away, you know. Yeah. So I've covered just, you know, just a, all that, you know, just in those two counties, I've covered just a ton of ground out there. And uh, just, just, you know, just by walking and walking and walking all day long out there and setting up on, you know, calling the spots and picking where I want to go based on the fresh sign. Yeah. I've been trying to do a better job at not hunting until I feel ultra confident in a set. And, you know, there's, I think between opening of this season in Nebraska and mid October, I think I carried my bow into the woods two times, but I'm out there, I'm out there a ton, filming my wife a lot. Um, but also like, even when it was my turn to hunt, like a lot of times we would just walk and then it gets about to the time where it's like, oh, we should, you know, probably find a place to set up soon. And it's like, oh, I don't know. Let's just keep walking. I haven't really seen anything that looks great yet. And then we find three, three, four more spots and, you know, the next day do the same thing and just building that library. And, and like you said, too, eliminating a lot of dead space at the same time. Yeah, because you'll notice out there, too, uh, pressure comes and goes. Um, I remember the reason I started going out there was uh, when – the Scheffler boys went out there originally, um, back the white till adrenaline back then. And yep. I, I had a long weekend and I'm like, well, I could go out there and do something like that. You know, so I purchased a tag, you know, over the counter and went out there for a three day weekend. And, um, the first spot I picked, I just picked a spot on the map. I walked out there in the morning, 
and I ended up, I think I hit uh, an eight pointer in the horns that morning when I shot, but, <laughs> but no, just, you know, just by going out there, you know, blind or whatever, so, but you'll find out pressure comes and goes, you know, there's been a lot of videos about it out there, and um, if you're out there for the long haul, you know, maybe in five years, there'll be less people out there, Yeah. you know, and yeah, life we, changes everybody, you know, so. Right. Yeah, I've talked to that about that uh, quite a bit among some of my other friends, too, that you know, right now, I think in general, we're in a, a cycle where just due to, I guess, you know, social media, like w- what we're doing is pretty popular and yeah. it, it feels like there's a lot more people doing it and it feels like it's kind of an upswing, Yep. but not every one of those guys who's going out and doing that is having a good, you know, felt like it was a good use of their time and they might not come yeah. back and do it the next year. And, right. and, but there's going to be other guys who maybe this is their year to go out and try it. And so it almost yep. feels like there's going to be just like how deer populations go up and down based on, you know, well, they give you more tags, you shoot more deer, then there's not enough deer, they give less tags, and, you know, yep. the cycle turns back around. Similar type of thing with, you know, numbers of guys in the woods. People go out there, have great success, feel like they're the only guys in the woods. You know, they tell their buddies that cycle starts up, and then you get more and more hunting pressure. Hunting experience goes down for a lot of the guys. They stop going out there, and, yeah, just yep. like you said. Cause there's there's places you know I I try never falling in love with a certain spot because you know you'll get burned on it if you know year to year there's not gonna be a nice buck in that area that I'm after. Yeah. So I'm constantly revisiting these areas. Uh, like in central Wisconsin here, I'm probably covering fifteen thousand acres through several counties, checking all these different spots every year just to see what the pressure is, uh, if there's any decent bucks that I you know from the sign from past year to hunt and. Yeah, it's every, you know, life changes for everybody and people are getting married, school, kids, every, you know, so the pressure is going to be different in these different woodlots. So you don't give up on them. You just maybe leave them sit for a year or two, just kind of poke your head back in there and see what's shaking and um, see if there's a nice buck back in that area. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just cover ground. I mean, it's just, that's, you just got to cover a lot of ground on, you know, on public land uh, you know, shake up some, you know, decent deer sometimes. So. Yeah. That's, that's been my go-to. And I feel like that's, that's maybe the one spot too, where maybe I feel like the cameras have helped me to a certain regard in the year over year data where like I'm, I'm putting boots on the ground and I'm walking like every chance I get, you know, yep. apart from not having a, a, you know, a full-time job and being able to just, you know, go out there every day or have a, a job or maybe you work the summer and then you get a lot of the fall off. Um, you know, every chance that we get, especially now that my wife started to get into hunting more, like I don't feel like I'm, you know, going out on my own all the time to go on a hunting trip. Like we're able to, you know, do that sort of thing together. And then thus we're able to spend more time in the woods overall. And, but I can't be in multiple places at once and I can only check out so many spots in any given year. And so if I drop a, you know, a couple cameras in a certain spot and maybe I only get out there once, maybe I don't get out there at all. I could yeah. look at those pictures the next year and, oh, there's a lot of guys walking, you know, a lot of guys walking on camera this year, hunting pressure's high, or, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's three shooter bucks out there. It's like, oh man, you know, maybe I should pay more attention to that spot next year, you know. And my, my job kind of helps me scout. Um, I, I'm, I'm traveling, I'm a service tech, but I, I travel all over the central part of Wisconsin here. 
now he's got a pair of rubber boots in my truck. So when I'm on my, you know, my last call or something, you know, if I see a piece of public I want to scout, I'll just pull over to the side of the road and walk that, check it out. Or I'm getting in a lot of people's houses and striking up conversations with them um, next to some of these public areas I hunt. And you, you, you kind of wonder what they're pulling, you know, you, you go by these houses and you're like, I wonder what they're pulling off that property by this public, you know. And you get into a lot of these places and you're seeing the deer that they're pulling off these properties. And you're like, okay, that's, you know, hit an apple orchard behind their house or something, but there's public land in this area and on. You might throw a scout at it and just see what's going on there. Um, but I, I always use, I'm always keeping my eyes open, ears open, and always trying to, you know, get your database of areas to hunt. Yeah. Yep. And, and so would you say you're more of a, you're less of a map guy maybe and more of a, because I, I had a friend in college and we used to, we used to go around Duluth and we'd knock on doors and ask for permission to try and get on pieces. And yep. I'd have my map up and we'd be, I'd be looking at, you know, for pinch points and stuff between like behind a subdivision, you know, next to a swamp, whatever. And he, and he'd be the other guy. He doesn't he never look at the map. He'd just be driving around. I like to look at those woods, you know, yeah. let's go, let's go knock on this door. You get a, you get a, I don't know if it's like a sixth sense after a while, but you, you'll be walking through big timber and you, you may, you know, and all of a sudden your, your mind is telling, you know, before you know what your body's telling you, you get a sense that I always call it, it feels real squatchy and you just, you kind of stop and you look around and it's like an area, you know, one of these mythical bucks you're after, you know, is holed up and, and after, you know, after scouting and scouting and scouting, you know, years and years and, um, you just, you, you kind of just get a, a feeling for some of these areas, you know, based on, you know, just, it's kind of weird. You know, yeah. Can't explain it. So I think it's just, you know, you, you've seen so many things that your body is just kind of keying in on those details before you realize it. Yep. Yeah. I always feel like, like that whenever I'm walking up on what ends up being like a nice primary scrape area, like, man, everything just is lining up here. It's looking good. It's nice and, you know, it's thick though. And all of a sudden you open up in that little pocket within the, amongst the cover and it's just that beautiful primary scrape and everything lines up. Yep. Or like that, uh, that buck I had that close encounter with this year. I originally, I hadn't, I hadn't scouted that spot postseason. Yep. I, I was just walking. I, I think it was, it was maybe the second week of October and I was just yeah. walking. I th- you know, we had a different weird wind direction and, like I didn't feel confident enough to throw a sit at anything. So I just picked a different area to walk and hit that spot. And I was like, man, this, I like this, you know, it had, it didn't have, it didn't have great sign yet, but it didn't really have any sign yet at that point, but it just yeah, seemed, yeah. it seemed right. You know, like just the way that the, the terrain rolled and just the diversity and the way that the transition lines fit and some of the corridors going through there, I could, Actually, there were some historical rubs from the prior year. So I was like, okay, well, the deer coming through here in late October and November. So they're going to show up even if they're on here now. And now, actually, I, I'm wrong. I, there was a, a couple of rubs from that season. I was like, okay, there's there's bucks that are here early too. Um, and, yeah, I, I had been monitoring. I did throw a camera at it. I monitored a little bit and throw my first sit in there. And the first sit I had in the counter, but that buck – you know, five minutes too late and 10 yards too far. Could see him just skirting yeah. along the edge of the cover. And, uh, 
got out of there and then went in, you know, the next week. And, you know, it's like you're talking about with the pockets. It's like I've assumed and figured he was betting on a certain point on this cut. And there was a deer bedded there because when I went to break a branch to create a shooting lane for myself, I saw a deer get up and run. I thought, Mom, this is it. Like, that was the buck. Um, But he didn't look very big. And, and sure enough that, that old buck I was after half hour before dark. And, and the only problem was just where he came from. He came from the one direction that I wasn't set up for on the ground. And you're yeah. sitting there, you're thinking he's bedded up. <laughs> he's bedded up over here in this corner, 80 yards away. I, I spent an hour accessing that spot through this nice, nice little like tight corridor, like wow. carefully walking around scrapes, like trying not to touch vegetation, waiting for the wind to come up to take a step get in there, thought about climbing a tree, not enough shooting lanes, sit on the ground. Okay, well, if he comes here, I got a perfect, nice, easy shot. I can come back slow, full draw. If he comes on this side of this log, then I'm going to have to, like, spin around, and it'll be a harder shot. Well, sure enough, he comes in from the exact trail that I accessed on. He walked right down my access trail in that little tunnel. And I was like, like, you know, you hear those footsteps behind, and you're like, oh, no, like, I can't. You just freeze because there's nothing you can do at that point because he's close enough. He's going to see you move if you try and do anything. And I just see out of the corner of my eye, just that rack up here, four yards away, broadside, just walking with his mouth yeah. hanging open. And I'm like, oh, no. Uh, but, I mean, I was able to I was able to grab the bow and spin around and get drawn back. And I saw, yeah, that looked, it was pretty cool footage. Yeah. Yeah. If, if I'd have been able to, to turn the camera on before that point in time to be yeah. able to see him walking in, like me, just like wide-eyed and that deer like coming in from behind <laughs> me, that would have been insane footage <laughs> that would be, yeah yeah that's pretty neat stuff it's that's why i mean that's why we hunt and you know you, you think you know everything until a deer makes uh, you know <laughs> puts you back in your place you know yeah. it's yeah it's fun and that's you got to keep that in perspective i think to you know you, you you watch a lot of this stuff on tv and uh, a lot of guys are hunting pretty you know managed areas and I think a lot of young guys out there, you know, just have these expectations, you know, where, you know, that they're going to see these big monster bucks at, you know, everywhere. And uh, I cover the the ground I cover. I may, I may, you know, have a handful of deer I want to go after that are decent. You know, there's just in central area here where on the public, there's just, there's not a lot of, you know, big bucks running around there. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to cover a lot of ground and there's a lot of small parcels and you're not dealing with uh, the deer's full playbook, so to speak. You know, you're not, you get in these bigger woods and these bigger marshes, you might have a few chapters of that buck's playbook you can deal with. Um, but you're hunting, if you're hunting a 40 or an 80 or there's a lot of small 20s and you might, you know, that might be a page or a paragraph of that buck's play, you know. So you got to keep everything in perspective that way, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it was, uh, it's been great talking to you. I appreciate you uh, jumping on the podcast to, to talk deer hunting. We'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, yeah I can talk about this stuff all the time. <laughs> if, uh, if anybody wants to, I guess, if they have any, if they want to reach out to y'all, ask any questions, um, follow along on anything you're doing. Do you have, you know, Instagram page people can look at or anything else? Yeah, pretty much uh, Instagram. Um, just uh, first name. Brian with an I and uh, last name Dombrowski. 
B-O-M-B-R-O-W-S-K-I. And uh, just kind of, I was kind of off social media forever, and then I got an Instagram page last year, so. That'll do it for this episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content, subscribe to DIY Sportsman. And with that, thanks for listening.